I want to tell you about Doing Justice, a new podcast from Cafe Studios. It's about a prosecutor's role in our justice system and is hosted by former U.S. Attorney Preet Bharara. Wait, I know him. <laughs> the show asks if we should allow an elected official to run for re-election while under investigation. It follows a sex worker who was robbed and gets her day in court. Preet explores the key elements of cases from the unique perspective of the prosecutors grappling with urgent moral and legal questions. Subscribe to Doing Justice wherever you're listening now. Hi, this is Merritt and Tatum from Watching Kentucky. You can get your mom a subscription to patreon.com slash partners in crime media for her birthday, just like I did. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And this week, a California bank robbery turns into a violent shootout with cops changing the way authorities view survivalists and the way police arm themselves. We'll talk about Norco 80. Then an exiled cop returns to his old squad, looking for a connection between some brutal murders and the cold case he left behind. We'll review the film, The Little Things. Joining me to get that done and more is my real-life husband and true crime co-author, former TV journalist and love of my life, Kevin Flint. Hello, Kevin. Hey, you uh, ad-libbed that. That's not in the script. Love of my the- life. Yeah. Part. Well, I figure it's good to insert some lies once in a while <laughs> so that you'll know when the truth is being told. <laughs> also with us is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, licensed private investigator, certified cat lady, and certified, for real, pet detective, Lara Bricker. Hello, Lara. Hello, Rebecca. And finally, our favorite captain of woke cynicism, the author of The Vault, Scorch City and Invisible Streets, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast, and our Patreon book club host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. I guess we're not going with the trilogy known as the city anymore. We're mixing it up. Yeah. I People don't know what go. those books are. That's true. Should we unless just, we tell them. Should we name all the books that we wrote in our intro? Kevin Flynn, author of Wicked Intentions. It'll take forever. We've, we're more prolific than that's the true. two of them. That's true. Well, that's, that's not nice. Well, can I just... There's two of us. Right. It's a fact. It's just, it's it's just data. But... but Toby wrote novels, which is harder. <laughs> if we're going to do like word count, we'll just add it on top of one another. Right. And... <laughs> uh, so how's everybody doing? Is everybody weathering February okay? Everyone get that get through Groundhog Day okay? Toby, did you get through Groundhog Day okay? It was a rough Groundhog Day. <laughs> everybody got um, their Super Bowl squares? Uh, uh, no, I, did. I, don't, I don't usually do Oh, Super Bowl squares. I, yeah. Me neither. I got to get them assigned You're to like, me by Kevin. Isn't that like betting on what the final, like the last well, digit of some score is going to be? Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's it's just a complete random thing. It's kind of like the football equivalent of one of those cow plops. <laughs> Have a grid of, of, for those who don't know, 100 squares, and everybody gets assigned a square. And then after that, they fill in the number. So, um, you know, randomly zero through nine. And on the top and on the bottom, and then, you know, the AFC is one side and the NFC is one side. So you play like Battleship. So if the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, if you've got three, if the, their score is three or 13 or 23, and then you go down to the uh, the Chiefs, and if it's four or 14, 24, whatever. You mean the team from Kansas City? The team from Kansas City. That's right. We're uh, not calling them by that horrible okay. racist name. So we've got, we've got like everybody in the family has some numbers. No one cares about our football numbers. Well, I mean, we've got, you and I have some really horrible numbers. Yeah. I've got eight and nine, 
and Rebecca's got nine and eight. Yeah, it's very hard. I mean, eight, if twenty eight to eight nine, that 20, ain't happening. Yeah, it's really hard. We're not going to win any money. But uh, Henry has three and four. Yeah, three. You know, thirteen to fourteen, fourteen to three, twenty four to yeah, thirteen. He can those win bucks. are those are all great numbers. Yeah, those, those are those. The numbers are going to be in the thirties. Maybe well, no, it's okay. the second number uh. that counts. I know, but the score is going to be – it's going to be a high-scoring game. Huh. It, it could be like – Look at you, Mr. Football, all of a sudden. Well, you win every quarter, so low numbers oh. are good you know, for winning first quarters and things like that. But yeah. Yeah, yeah well, at least I don't have a two. I'm in it for the food. So, you guys, I'm so excited. I'm jumping on the bandwagon, the next stage of pandemic life. I know what I you're going to say. I know what you're going to say. I ordered it. The air fryer. Air fryer. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Uh. Something in my head was like, Laura's going to say air fryer. She's going to say what is it. that? It's an air fryer. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's a thing to make fried food with air. So it's better for you, which it's- I don't understand the point of that. If you're eating fried food, eat fried food, Laura Bricker. What is the problem? Well, I'm just intrigued by it because not <laughs> only does it air fry, it's a rotisserie, mm. it's a dehydrator, it's a convection oven. Nice. I mean, you can cook bacon. I, it, it, apparently, you can do everything with this piece of equipment. So, the magic um, of how does How does it differ from just an oven? It's little. It goes on your your. Of course, it's I got an a easy bake oven. It's, it's like little. an easy bake oven. So I'm gonna make some buffalo cauliflower. The rest of my family is not excited about that. Just make the wings. Just make the chicken. <laughs> it's with air. Like what is the? Isn't that just a broiler? I just don't understand. Like if you're gonna, if it's an air fryer and the point is to make it healthier, just make the chicken. What yeah, is people, the problem? People seem really excited about their air fryers. So I just felt like it's time to get on the bandwagon. Huh. You know. Huh. I killed the sourdough starter. I'm moving on. <laughs> this is the first I've heard of it. I think we should do a podcast about the murder of a sourdough yeah. starter. <laughs> All right. Should we get to our first review? America wants us to. All right. Buffalo fucking cauliflower. Let's get it done. Leading off. Do you know that an officer has been killed? Macho. I'm telling you now, an officer has been killed and you'll be taken into custody in San Bernardino County for the murder of one officer. In 1980, a van full of doomsday survivalists robbed a bank in tiny Norco, California. The responding officers, armed with revolvers and shotguns, found themselves in a firefight and a car chase with suspects brandishing automatic weapons and improvised explosives. And it was somewhere around this time that my dispatch asked, uh, can you confirm if a helicopter is being shot out of the sky? And I go, what? Can you confirm the San Bernardino chopper has been shot down? <laughs> Are you kidding me? The violent incident altered the way authorities viewed these fringe figures, changing them from religious freaks to dangerous threats. It also left police feeling their communities would be safer if they were more heavily armed. He told me, if there's no one else to back you up, all you have is your weapon. We need to have better firepower than the bad guys. The odds have to be in our favor. Hosted by Antonia Cerejito and based on Peter Houlihan's book, Norco 80 from LAS Studios revisits the spectacular bank heist, the people who were there, and the long-lasting effects of a crime nearly forgotten. The 10-part series shows how one incident put authorities on alert for a new kind of domestic threat and also set law enforcement down the path to the modern militarized police force. Spoiler alert, we're going to be talking about significant plot points from the first five episodes of Norco. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes. 
Now, Toby, I have a question for you about something that gets brought up in the first episode that I just wondered about, and I want to know what your thoughts were. Uh, the first episode, we get sort of set up with a scene with a guy who is kidnapped by these bank robbers and stuffed into this little cabinet thing inside of his van. And one of the details that our host, Antonia, tells us is that he had a canned dried fruit business with which he made a million dollars a week. I was canning dehydrated food. I had a, a greenhouse with a thousand tomato plants going. At the time, business was booming. Some weeks, it brought in as much as a million dollars. Toby Ball, was that guy not growing weed? A million dollars a week? I think you might have heard that wrong. <laughs> That's how I heard it. A million dollars a year even with a canned dried fruit business? Come on. Yeah, I think even selling <laughs> weed, a million dollars in a week is... I know. It just, I was, it was a operate. detail that's, that stuck out to me. That's an interesting detail. You might want to go I back and verify that detail. Yeah. <laughs> it was a detail that stuck out to me and I wanted to ask you about it because I thought that maybe you would be able to fill me in. Now, Laura... Toby, what do you know about dried fruit? <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. Dried fruit economy in the 80s. <laughs> what were we talking, 1980? Yeah. <laughs> it was a good time for dried fruit dealers. <laughs> Now, Laura, you know, you just heard me describe in the intro what this podcast is about. You wrote me a note saying that normally waiting five episodes before we get to what the thing is about, that thing I just talked about in the intro, is a very long time. And I agree with you. But we are now five episodes into this podcast. We haven't gotten there. Do you think that works here? Because the the storytelling is strong, right? Yeah, I think that's what worked for me is I was, you know, this story is so bonkers in terms of the backstory of this bank robbery. I mean, it's like it's like a movie at one point listening to these people planning this bank robbery. I mean, you've got a little bit of like religion cult thing going on in there. You've got the ex-wives. You've got the police officers. I think just the narrative structure of the way that that story was told up to the fifth episode was so engaging. It was just really, really interesting. But I also think it was sort of necessary because then when we get to episode five, and they actually start talking about now the police are going to become militarized. Now they want AR-15s because of this. Instead of feeling more inclined like I might normally be to already be on one side or the other of that discussion, I really felt like I could listen to it more objectively because I had that deep background. I had heard the police talking about how scared they were. I had heard, you know, the other side about when they only had one gun and nobody knew where it was and they just felt <laughs> or like Or how so, to use it. Or how to use <laughs> it. So I think that it set it up effectively to really then go for the next five episodes into this discussion of the police and arming the police and how that evolved from this bank robbery. Toby, this podcast starts with a kind of tape that we usually don't like, which is like um, protracted tape of cops talking to a suspect. And it really leans on that in the first episode. Do you think that worked in this instance? Because basically we are hearing George, one of the robbers, he's wounded and the police are trying to get essentially like a, a deathbed confession from him about what happened here. What do you think of that scene, Toby? Yeah, I think it, it worked pretty well for me, at least, because it, it's jarring, because they're basically trying to get him to confess and, and, and tell what happened and give him some details. And the way and they're just basically like, you're probably going to die. You know, you're probably not going to make it. And so why don't you just tell us? There's a danger George could pass out before he gives a full confession. George, what's your full name? Uh, uh. 
What's your full name? George Wayne Smith. George Wayne Smith. How old are you, George? I'm 27 years old. Now, where are you from, you George? Castle, Wyoming. Uh, no more questions. Without any context, you're like, man, this seems extremely <laughs> kind of callous and, you know, is this ethical and stuff? So it kind of starts off with this very strange sort of atmosphere and like, how, how are you supposed to be taking all of this? And for me, it, it definitely kind of drew me in. Like it got my attention that way in a way that a lot of times these things are like, oh, all right, well, you know, that happened, that happened. I just kind of felt like this was so far from my expectations about the way those kinds of things would be handled. It kind of wrote me in. So I was like, what the, what's the story? Kevin, one thing that's really hard to do in audio is convey an action sequence. Mm -hmm. That's hard. And this podcast tries over several episodes, and then especially in episode four, which is the action sequence episode, to, through audio, describe things like a line of cars driving down the road, a shootout downtown, a car with the one guy with the powerful gun in it trying to get in front of the line, uh, an officer being shot. How do you think that works here? I'm just I'm curious oh, your thoughts. I, I think it works well. I think it's easy to do that when you have the actual police tapes, right? Mm. There's a lot of drama in them, and we hear get get some of it in each of the episodes, right? We, as Toby said, we start right off with them bringing George Smith to the the helicopter and then questioning him, and then the second episode is about the bank robbery going down. Then we get to the firefight and the chase and everything like that. You know, so it, there's a lot of drama built right into that, and they do a good job also of getting people who are there. So we hopscotch through their stories. I love all the tape. One thing I will say about the tape is I don't think Antonia needs to repeat verbatim the tape that we heard. Yeah, it's good tape. Get away! Wishing I hadn't done the job. Chris responded, "Getting away, wishing I hadn't done the job," but at that point. They had no plans to surrender. You know, George's motto is, I'm not going to be taken prisoner, right? Chris said George's motto was that he wasn't going to be taken prisoner. The audio quality is really good. Yeah. You need to do that if it's kind of garbled and you can't understand what they're saying. You kind of want to translate, for lack of a better term. What did I just hear? What was important about that garbled mess that I heard? I can hear perfectly well. What what's coming over the uh, the police right? I was listening in a car where there's a lot of rumbling noise and stuff like that, and I still heard it just fine. I don't think it, you need to do that. I think you can supplement and augment that without just having to you know say spit out back exactly the thing that I heard. So that's a quibble. You know, you actually like you brought me to my like one quibble about this podcast, which is I think that there are cuts, like just cuts I would have made. Mm -hmm. Like there, it, the scenes are so interesting. The writing is pretty strong. I mean, there's a couple of like quibbly things I have about the writing that just aren't that important because they, the only reason they stick out is because the rest of the writing is strong. Yep. Um, that doesn't matter so much, but it does feel like whoever edited this sort of thought like, you're supposed to do that. You're supposed to repeat the tape after the tapes. They did it every time. They don't do it one time. They do it almost every Every time. Yeah. So I agree with you. I, I think telescoping that would, would have made this a lot stronger. Um, Toby, though, this like story, like just talk about, you know, we haven't gotten again to the meat of what the trailer promises, which is that this is about survivalists and sort of this whole other counterculture. We haven't gotten there yet, but it's pretty clear that these guys are like bananas, right? Yeah, I didn't listen to the trailer, so I wasn't really sure what to expect or what's going to be happening afterwards. But um, yeah, these guys are maniacs. You know, just from the bank robbery aspect, like they, they're not like experienced criminals. 
and they go into this bank with like military grade weapons at a time when that was not like a normal thing to do. And the the whole chase is bananas. You know, these guys, I mean, the, the, the tape they have of the cops, like the one guy who's following them in his police car, and he's just getting lit up by these guys in the back of a truck shooting automatic weapons at him. And, you know, he's, he's getting his car filled with holes and stuff, and he's calling that in. They shoot down a helicopter. Mm. <laughs> I mean, it's nuts. just, it, I, the whole thing. I Toby, how many times have you seen that in a TV show? And you're like, get the fuck out of here. You're like, yeah. Bang, bang, bang. That's just not going to work. They just shut down an airport. They just shut down an airport. They just shut down an airport. They're afraid they're going to shut guys, down this is, their, this is their first time out. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's-, it's And a this poorly is like their, executed crime, right? This is like their pilot. But part of what makes this story great is that this has never happened before, yeah. right? I mean, you can think back to the 30s and- you know, machine gun gangsters and stuff being like super violent and militaristic. But the idea that you would rob a bank with this much sort of military force uh, and then throw bombs to make getaways is just like very James Bondish. And obviously, you know, part of the, the impact is that police kind of failed to imagine that could happen hmm. and never knew how to respond later on. Yeah. But it's just so crazy. Well, then you've got that poor guy in the back who has to pee through the whole thing. Oh, I, that was like, added so much tension for me. I'm that's all sorry. I splatter. <laughs> after, after they said they like taped up his nuts and he couldn't pee, I was like, that's all I could think about. I'm like, this poor guy. He's just got to pee so bad. Finally, this this lady cop comes and uh, tells me to get down. And I <laughs> forget you, man. Just get this tape off of me again. I'm going to reiterate. I I had to pee. <laughs> So she gets the tape off, and of course I relieve myself in front of all those people. I didn't care at that point. The other thing about it that's so crazy is that these guys are willing to kill a lot of people. Everybody, yeah. kids. I mean, they're just—I <laughs> mean, they're just maniacs. All the finance, their bunker. We don't know yeah. that yet. We don't know that yet. In the, where we are in the secret pod. tunnels. Oh. I yeah. love the secret tunnels. Yeah, but it's yeah. so anyway. It's the, the whole thing. It's just nuts. So this is what I wanted to really get to, because we have, not we, the four of us, but like America, has the views on policing has shifted. And it is, I think, not appropriate right now to do a true crime podcast that puts a topic like the arming of and militarization of police forces, which we now know is a terrible idea in almost every way into a light that makes you really kind of try and understand from the other point of view how we got there, right? So let me just put it this way. It is rare to be given a story where we are asked to really empathize with a cop who is saying, I wish all these people died and I wish we had machine guns. That's what this podcast tries to do. And I actually think on some levels, even though it made me deeply uncomfortable to feel this way, it is the most in some ways, empathetic portrayal of policing I've heard recently, I think because the way it's done and who the characters are and who the host is talking to them and the interjection of her saying, this is really difficult for me because I feel for you, but that's why that kind of empathy works for me. What do you think, Kevin? Well, I think maybe the way you said it is a little inartful, but I agree with with the sentiment of that, that it's... When we get to the point where police feel that they need to have heavier weapons, it doesn't necessarily come from a 
point where they're like, well, we have these kinds of guns and we just want to get bigger ones. It makes a lot of sense to put people in the position of why were these cops who were the day before just happy to say, I've got my six shooter on my side. And if things go crazy, I've got a shotgun to say, oh, we got to kick this up a notch. And why and the terror that they felt that day. And it was a crazy, like I said, it's a crazy, crazy day. It's not like the typical thing today where it's like, well, I don't know. He was reaching for something and it was a cell phone. And so now we're going to start blasting. I mean, this was an outlier of an incident. Yeah. And so when you have the scene where the guy, that one cop who was, you know, I had him in my sights and I would have taken him down. You know, she does question like, well, are you, you know, do you have the right? Is that to, your role? Is that your role to be executioner, right? When it got to me and they opened up on me, I'm not thinking about incarceration. I'm not thinking about capturing. I'm thinking about defending myself and killing them. Not wounding, killing them. Stopping the threat. I know that sounds terrible, but I've been retired for a long time, so I can tell you the truth. Can't we agree that in a case where you have multiple suspects who are not going to throw their hands up and are continuing to use machine guns and hand grenades to evade the police, does that threat not need to be neutralized? I don't necessarily agree with that. In that case. I don't necessarily agree with that. That makes me uncomfortable to agree with it. But I will say I understand it. Yes. Okay, yeah, Agreeing with it is different than understanding it in this case. In this case. There are many, many, most other other cases cases where where we don't need to go down the street in a tank. Yes. Toby, what were you going to say? My my question about the policing and I, and I and I totally get the whole the whole they're totally outgunned and all this stuff is you know at what point do you just say a lot of people are going to get killed if we continue to follow them can we just have this helicopter just keep eyes on them and then we'll we'll deal with it later we'll figure out where they come to rest and then we'll we'll figure out something to do from there because that was what during the thing. When they're describing things, I'm like, holy, you know, they're doing this in in populated areas. Like, there's like having these like firefights and some kid gets his finger taken off uh, who's just sitting at the side of the road. I'm sure it's like really hard to make those decisions when it's unprecedented and you're in the heat of the situation. But again, it's one of those things like what's going to be the cost of like stopping these guys who robbed a bank Hmm. uh, that you couldn't just wait a little bit on? Laura, what do you think of the... um I mean, I hate to use this expression because it's been co-opted by bad journalism, but like sort of the both sides-ness of this, you know, I am primed, I think, as everyone is and as the host of this podcast is as a journalist to be really, really skeptical of falling into that trap of being like, yeah, you were the good guy because you're a cop. Yeah, it's okay for you to have this giant gun and just shoot at people. But isn't she doing a good job walking that tightrope here where you can at least understand? And that's how I feel anyway. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what I was alluding to a little bit before is that the way that it was set up where we definitely got to know the police officers and hear their background and hear the lead up to this shit show, for use of a better word, going down. Um, I did find myself really kind of listening to both sides in a way that I might not have done otherwise. But, you know, I can see how They felt that way. And I can see how when this is unfolding and you're caught up in the moment and something like this has never happened before in terms of like the firepower and just the level of destruction that is following these people, I can see how it escalated to that point. And I can see how 
listening to the description of the aftermath, how the police felt. It, it sounds like they felt afraid. Like they felt like we don't know what we're going to do if we're in that situation again and we've just got our pistols and they've got, you know, like you can definitely see that side of it the way that the story is told in a way that I feel like is a lot more empathetic than a lot of the reporting that we've heard on that sort of topic to date. I actually, I mean, I was just thinking of something while you were talking that I just, it was like something unlocked in my head. I think the reason why this is bearable is because the people they were shooting at were white. And I'm not saying that it's, you know, different in that way. It's just that we are talking about a different situation where it feels more, I don't want to say equal, but we're it not... It removes race from the equation. Well, race is everything right now. And there's nothing that you cannot refute that racism is the most important conversation in America right now. And this is the root of problematic policing. This story is important when it comes to the tale of problematic policing. But I just was found myself just thinking right now, like hearing that guy talk about how he wanted them all to die and, you know, hearing them just chasing them and and doing this, that it was like, it feels different because they were white. I mean, I I just don't think that that's how it is for me anyway. Toby, do you know what I'm talking about? I do. I, I, I feel like more for me, it's the absolutely callous disregard for life. Like those guys are going to kill people, right? Or you're going to have to just let them go. And so I think it's a tough one, but they, they seem like there's no other means to yeah. confront them. I think it's not the kind of, well, they were probably going to surrender if you like just drew on them or right, something. It's right. like they're pretty clear that this is going to be like a military style firefight. So that makes those tactics seem a little bit more. I, I guess the fact that they're white kind of uncomplicates it a little bit. But to me, I, I think the the real thing is the conflict was significantly different than almost anything else that we've talked about. That's true. That's true. Kevin, can we just talk about the stupid plan to rob this bank? Going into a bank where you know all the tellers? Like, hey, that's my neighbor, George. I mean, for real. Isn't it in a, in a horse town? Like, isn't isn't the whole thing with Rebecca, robbing... that's where the money is. Isn't it, but isn't the whole thing about robbing banks, you're supposed to go into a bank where people don't know who you are? Isn't that just like- Just go one town works? over. Yeah. Yeah, and apparently we find out <laughs> the that- The place you don't cash your paycheck, in the, other words? <laughs> the, 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 uh, the amount of bank robberies in California was like skyrocketing. It's the golden and, age of bank robberies. Yeah, the golden age of bank robberies. It was robberies. like the podcast and, age of bank robberies. Everyone had a bank robbery. Well, I also know, I mean, in addition to like, you know, the professional bank robbers who like are going in on this or the people who just want a quick buck, that a lot of places, uh, you know, that- Paramilitary groups, I mean, this was one of the ways, like going back decades, like how they would fund themselves. This is how the IRA funded itself in the first part of the 19th century, going in and robbing banks. And of course, everybody knows each other. And so they would just say, okay, here's the money. Say hi to your ma. And, uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, well, I, yeah, they surely could have picked a better bank, I think, but maybe they just wanted to, I don't know. I mean, how far away do you think you have to escape? Toby, do you miss bank robberies? <laughs> but it's, it doesn't I, seem like we have them anymore. I mean, I'm sure we everybody's do. Everybody's inside. I, I mean, maybe that's we just I, don't well, hear about them. That's what I was them, wondering but, about. Yeah. It's like I, like occasionally you'll see something, like in the local newspaper, like we're looking for this guy who we've got on the bank camera came in and passed a note. But it's not like 
guys going in and guns and putting like making people lie on the floor and making off with hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's like some dude with his hat on backwards, like getting one teller's worth of money and then like running as fast as he can into a neighborhood. I actually, when I first met Kevin, he was a TV reporter and you covered a bank robbery in Manchester, New Hampshire. Remember how that guy did it? Yeah, he came into the bank disguised as a tree. <laughs> oh, I remember that. Had like a big branch in front of his face. He's described as a uh, white male, thin build, very dark hair, blue jeans, very thick, large eyeglasses, and uh, he had tree branches duct tape about his body as in an attempt to use him as camouflage. And then when the cops went to his uh, his house to arrest him, he said, I was expecting you. <laughs> 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 That's what you call an impulse cry. Yeah. Yeah, I fucked that one out. Well, uh, these guys, though, I mean, they the rapture was coming. They didn't have time yeah. to go to the next town, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Laura, though, we should point out again, that is not something we know yet in the podcast from where we are. We are five episodes in. We don't. We haven't heard that part. Are you of the saying story. we should have waited another? Yeah, couple they of weeks talked about that a little they, bit. They talked about how bit. he came back from the war and he found yeah. religion, and then he thought the world was ending and the rapture was coming. And yeah, but we don't have that as like a theme yet. Of yeah. like, no, but we know yeah. that's his motivation. That's true. Yeah, that's true. I don't think we know that that's everyone's yeah. motivation. Well, there's still car. there's still ways to grow in this podcast. That's there's still true. places to explore. I just feel bad for the dehydrated fruit rich guy. Okay, <laughs> let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners. No, should they check out Norco 80? It's a podcast made in partnership with the LAist, which I should say is part of KPCC, a public radio station in California that's doing a ton of innovative work and that I admire very much. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Should people check out Norco 80? Yeah, I think so. I think this is a really uh, engaging story the way it's told, but it's also a really important story because it's shedding some context onto an issue that is all over the news now, which, you know, the militarization of police. And this is really taking us back to why this trend started. And also really interesting, we didn't get too much into how there was actually a trend before that toward community policing in some areas. And it was shot down. So I think it's really interesting. But it's also just crazy to hear the story of this robbery, which it reminds me of, what was that movie, uh, Point Break with Keanu? And they were the bank robbers and they had their masks. It kind of reminds me of that. Or Heat. Yeah. Robert De Niro um, and Al Pacino. Yeah. So it's it's a it's a crazy story, but it's well told and I have been, you know, really enjoying it so far. Toby Ball, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Norco eighty. Yeah, I I'm a I'm a thumbs up. I, I think it's been super interesting. They do and Kevin talked about this. I, I think they do a really good job of, you know, sort of the narrative momentum and suspense that they're able to generate around particularly the chase after the robbery and stuff is, is, is I think really, really well done. I think it's well reported. I'm interested to see where it goes from here, but I, you know, a, a hearty thumbs up. Kevin Flynn. I'm thumbs up. I like stories that sort of say, Hey, this was the starting point for X and we have two great things here. At, at least it's set up like this, that this was an incident that's, got people thinking about, oh, these are not harmless Jesus freaks, that they can also be militarized. And then also sort of the modern arming of the police force. Where did that come from? It's not just that the military had surplus weapons. The desire to get it came from a certain place, and it was apparently this incident. And to learn more about it, because it's not, uh, I'm sure it's well known in the law enforcement community in California, 
but it isn't sort of a a well-known, well-worn story. So I like being told things that I I hadn't heard of before. And I like this podcast. I think it's, it's got a, you know, we had a couple of little tech quibbles, but I think it's being told very well. And uh, I know there's some big stuff coming up later in the podcast, yeah. later down the road that I can't say just yet. But I think uh, I'm looking forward to staying with it. And I think folks should uh, tune in. Yeah, I'm a thumbs up, too. I like this podcast. I'm not sure I liked it as much as the three of you. I mean, my one bigger quibble with it is that episodes three, four, and five are too long for me. It feels like someone was like, they have to be 40 minutes to be able to hold two ad breaks. So Mm -hmm. they just felt like extended and some of the scenes were extended. And I got to the point a few times where I was like, I got it. Let's keep going. And I found myself a little bit frustrated with that part of the storytelling. And that's just editing. That's just cutting stuff out. And I would just say, if you had maybe less care about the length of the episodes, about what they should be, about what they should sound like, about the fact that they need two breaks. It's perfectly fine to have a 28-minute podcast with two breaks in it. It's fine. Wondery put 17 breaks in like a 28-minute podcast, so it's fine. (laughs) Um, So yeah, that's really like my one quibble. I don't mind that we haven't gotten to the meaty stuff yet. My second quibble is I wish we... Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details had some hinting at the meaty stuff coming. I really feel like some foreshadowing would be helpful because if you're the kind of listener who doesn't care about the militarization of policing or who doesn't really relate to the extreme action of the bank robbery story, you're missing what is to come. And that's kind of a tall hill to climb. That being said, I like the podcast a lot. I think it has a tremendous amount of potential and it's also pretty good as it is. So thumbs up for me for Norco 80. Okay, so Kevin, how does that go? Here we are in the business section. Kevin! Yeah. What do we have going on our Patreon right now? Well, right now on the Crime Writers on After Show, which we haven't recorded yet, so we'll say in the future, but right now for you... We're going to be talking a little bit about the Golden Globes and yes. the nominations and the things that we have already talked about. We're going to kind of go over that, see if we agree with the nominations. We're also going to talk about Laura's first cat case yes. as a cat detective. It's also the subject of the latest Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker podcast, which is also available right now on Patreon. Oh, Also, we're going to be asking folks to sign up for our next Married with Podcast live <gasps> recording. It's an event. It's an event. It's a video event on Crowdcast just for come. patrons. You can ask your marriage questions. You should come. Yeah, and uh, just in time for Valentine's Day. Well, we listened to your last Married with Podcast on Sunday when we had to take our dog to the emergency vet, and it was a oh pretty- god. <laughs> Yeah, buddy. That the was dog. the sex one. I know. And Ken was like, "What are we listening to?" And and I was like, "Rebecca's what? talking about a vagina." And, and I was like, "Rebecca said to blast on some guys, on some girl's chest." <laughs> no, I didn't. You did too. No, I didn't. It was really funny. So I enjoyed the episode. I thought it was interesting. <laughs> it is. Well, you know why Mary's podcast is interesting because our listeners are interesting. Yes. So Kevin, what else you got for this business section? Well, if you join Patreon. 
at an annual subscription or change your current subscription to an annual subscription by March 1st. You can save 10% on that subscription and you will get a telephone call of thanks from one of the four of us. That's right. I actually, by the way, remember last week I said that I left a message for Alicia. Yeah. I actually talked to Alicia. I just want to give you an update. Mm-hmm. She was rad. Super rad. Guys, everybody we've talked to is rad, right? Yeah, I haven't talked to a stinker yet. Laura, I think you talked to a stinker though, right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Everyone's like, was I the stinker? That asshole from Montana. No, I'm just kidding. There was no asshole from Montana. You're all wonderful. We Uh-oh. love our Patreon people. And speaking of Kevin, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Our Patreon patron saints are Persephone Wilson and Lauren Hawkins. Bless you. Kevin, I'm making a confession right now. You thought it was going to be another Jennifer? I super worried that you weren't going to be able to pronounce Persephone. I I, I spoke with Persephone. No, I know, but I was worried She that would have corrected me. It's one of those names where like, a, yeah, if you don't if you yeah. don't know like Greek mythology or you don't know how it's spelled, <laughs> it's like it's like Siobhan. Oh Siobhan. Yeah. I was oh. super worried that you were gonna be like Persephone Wilson. And so congratulations on making through that. Every we Friday. are kind of leaning in on the Greek mythology with Aphrodite Jones or yes. whatever her name is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Persephone. Yes. yes. It's all good. It's all good. Well, you're everybody on Patreon. Thank you so much for supporting us. And if you don't support us there, just know we have four podcasts there, including Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club and everything else you just heard about. So join us on Patreon. And if not, thanks for listening to the business section of this podcast. Right, Kevin? <laughs> I don't know what to say. Let's to fade you. that music out. Moving on. Familiar with all of this? No. Things probably changed a lot since you left. Still got to catch him, right? Yeah. Hmm? Not that much has changed then. Deputy Sheriff John Deacon returns to his old Los Angeles homicide squad during a string of high-profile killings. He wins the reluctant admiration of Detective Jim Baxter and offers the hotshot investigator the benefit of his world-weary experience. Hey, uh, what was Julie's last supper? Roast beef. What? The little things that are important, Jimmy. The little things that get you caught. But is Baxter's case related to the unsolved killings that destroy Deacon's personal and professional lives and his health? That's when a peculiar repairman with an unusual fascination with local crime captures their attention. Cute little thing, wasn't she? Who said she's dead? I know the drill, Jimmy. The truth is, I'm not the guy. Besides, if you had anything, anything at all, I'd be in her arrest. With an A-list cast and a neo-noir storyline, the new motion picture, The Little Things, is now streaming on HBO Max. Oscar winners Denzel Washington, Rami Malek, and Jared Leto star in a film that is part character study, part cat and mouse crime thriller. Will Deacon solve the case and find the redemption he's been seeking? We are going to be talking about plot points for The Little Things. So to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs-up or thumbs-down reviews. Kevin. Yeah. Have we ever reviewed a motion picture on this podcast before? We have, but we didn't know it. What was it? Well, the trial of the Chicago 7 was... uh, We're in this unusual time where these feature motion pictures are also debuting as streaming. So we consider them like TV movies, but they're actually 
theatrical re- releases. It, it opens in like three theaters and on HBO, and that's how it works. So. Right, right. But it is kind of unusual. It is unusual for us. Yeah. We've also never, I think, reviewed something that had so many Oscar winners in it before. Just three right in the top. I know. Yeah. All the Oscar dudes. All Couldn't right, so- help. spoiler alert it ultimately did not help i actually feel very guilty because we watched the first like i don't know 12 minutes of this and i was like kevin we should do this on crime writers on and i i slacked you guys and i was like we should do this it sort of has like seven vibes and then like five minutes later i immediately regretted uh comparing it to seven by the great david fincher one of the creepiest suspense movies of all time but laura let's just pretend for a second that we have not spoiled how we feel about this movie and let's just talk about some of the scenes yeah the opening scene for me was scary as fuck, but also kind of absurd, right? Yeah, I was like screaming at the TV. So we have the opening scene and we have this girl who's like driving and the guy's tailing her and he passes her and she passes him. And then she pulls off the road and he follows her. And instead of like locking her doors and staying in her car, she gets out to a, like in the middle of freaking nowhere in like the desert, goes up to this like closed down gas station clearly abandoned clearly nobody it's never been open in the recent times and i'm like what the fuck are you doing like i was like scream i'm like this is so stupid hello hello <laughs> and then she actually lives and i'm like well that was pretty darn lucky um yeah so it was it was definitely pretty scary because you see this guy following her who looks very neat and tidy and he's clearly got like a killer kit in his trunk or something and um he's very slow and methodical and she's just being stupid so that right. is what not to do if you you don't want to get killed i'm just gonna say yeah wouldn't it be great if the guy driving the 18 wheeler was the serial killer <laughs> That's what I thought might happen. I was like, oh, maybe she's going to get killed now. And then like, no, she didn't. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, she'd have like, okay, taste in music. She was listening to the B-52s, right? It's 1990. Wrong. I mean, that song played for a long time. It's always on the radio. All the rights to that music. Now, Toby, Laura just talked about the first scene, but then there's a whole like, post-opening denouement, which is sort of the setup for the whole thing, where Deke, played by Denzel Washington, arrives at his old haunt at the Los Angeles Police Department, which I will admit... I did not realize it was Los Angeles for a long time because the scene setting was not great, showing that it was like a city. And there's this whole thing where they sort of put him together with his future partner in this very rapid way. How do you think they sort of handled the setup of the, the premise of this movie in that sort of second scene? Not very well. I couldn't really <laughs> figure out what they thought they were doing. So it basically... Denzel Washington's got to like grab a piece of evidence and for some reason he parks illegally and it just happens to be in the spot where Rami Malik, this guy, I guess his name is Baxter, is supposed to be parking and he apparently doesn't have time to wait for Denzel Washington to come back out. So he gets a tow truck to come, but he does wait around for the tow truck to show up so they can have their thing. Hey, hey, is this yours? Yeah, unhook it. You blocked me in. Why didn't you just ask me to move it? Because I don't have time. You want special treatment? Go back to Kern County. Unhook it. And then they end up again in like the same basic area where Baxter's giving a uh, press conference and Denzel shows up and you get like a little backstory, like the brass doesn't like him, but the common cops do. And then he's watching Baxter give this press conference and for doesn't really say anything, but Baxter thinks he's like... I think the term he uses is busting my balls. Mm. And uh, 
So it's like one of those meet cute things. Um, and then <laughs> for no apparent reason, when there's a new murder, Baxter comes up to him and's like, hey, you want to go on a ride along with us to check it out? And Denzel's like, yeah, sure, man, I'll do that. And then goes to the crime scene and just jumps to this, the most absurd like conclusion about what they should be investigating, which, of course, turns out to be completely correct. And we're <laughs> off and running. So, Kevin, there is this premise, right? And this is something we've seen over and over and over again. Wizened old cop who returns to his old thing and he's like a legend in the department, which, by the way, I think is total bullshit unless you work at like our <laughs> town's police department where there are seven guys. But it's Denzel. And I was expecting... Denzel. And we really didn't get like Denzel. Denzel till later on. Oh, barely later yeah. on. I mean, he's real, he's run down, well, which is fine, but I've seen Denzel in a lot of things where he's played a lot of different characters. And even when he plays characters that aren't like sexy, he's still like Denzel, like powerful, like performance Denzel. There are a, a rare handful of actors that play a character but are still them in the way that their humanity yeah. comes through and their essence. Denzel Washington, Tom Hanks. Brad Pitt. Morgan yeah, I guess Freeman. Brad Pitt, Al Pacino. Yeah, yeah. No, okay, like that, you know. Before that, Humphrey Bogart. Yeah. Right? You know, it's like it was Humphrey always... Bogart playing this guy who's also Humphrey Bogart. That's right. He didn't, <laughs> he didn't play Sam Spade any differently than he played uh, Philip Marlowe, right? I, but that isn't to say that it's um, Denzel Washington playing Denzel Washington in a different outfit, right? I think that... He just exudes this, this something you know that's special, um, and he always you know brings it as an actor. I think he does here too. Do you believe in God, Joe? When I see a sunrise, a thunderstorm, a dew on the ground, yes, I think there's a God. When I see all this, I think he's long past giving a shit. I think sort of the flip side of the coin is Jared Leto. Who is just such a chameleon, right? He oh. gets into some different roles. He's method, though. He's freaking weird. He's method. <laughs> he plays. He doesn't play. I mean, I think maybe the rest of the, the panel will disagree with me, but I don't think he overdoes this weird character. He's a weirdo, but he's not just being an actor chewing the scenery, right? He's able. Yes, he is. What are you talking no, about? No, I, I feel like he's <laughs> able to modulate that where he's giving a creepy performance. But he's not overacting. I invoke my Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination. Just kidding. You should see the look on your faces. Come on, it's hilarious. But I would like my rights waiver card. I know I'm not officially in custody, but better be safe than sorry, huh, guys? I bring it up because it's different. You from Denzel, you're like that's Denzel Washington, but his hair's a little gray, and maybe they he's supposed to have gained. 20 pounds or something like that. But then Jared Leto is like, I don't know what the hell I'm looking at. Is this, yeah. All I is can that think Jordan about, Catalano? Yeah, it is Jordan Catalano. But all I can think about when I see Jared Leto in films, knowing he's method, and he's like a very intense yeah. guy, and he's a very complicated guy who's done like a lot of interesting things in his career, but he's method. And all I could think of is all of these actors and whoever he lives with had to smell that hair for as long as it took to make this Because <laughs> that's how method works, right? You live as the character. I, if somebody making... tried to grow his hair long in the pandemic, it's... maybe maybe those are extensions. By the way, Remy Malik, why are they dressing him like it's 2020? Right. You know, it's like, man, does that suit come in your size? <laughs> um, Laura, you're also a Denzel fan generally, right? Yeah. But I don't know. Did you think that they this was a good vehicle for Denzel? I mean... He carries a lot with him into everything he makes. Do you think 
he should have picked this, I guess, is what I'm asking you. Well, I mean, I think I was thinking about this, you know, the the cast of characters we had, I think, are what carried this movie as far as it got. And I think if you didn't have these actors playing these characters, I definitely think the movie would have sucked a whole lot worse. But because you had Denzel there, like, I do feel like he does a good job, Denzel, with playing this type of kind of brooding police officer character, but also coming across in sort of like this gentle presence as he's going through, becoming a little bit more jacked up as it's going along. You know, he's doing some crazy things like, you know, going in this hotel with, you know, basically living among, it's like a rooming house. I wouldn't even call it a hotel. Um, you've got the rental car. He's got rid of his regular, you know, what was that? A Chevy Blazer? Yeah. That was that was how we spent a lot of this movie. Ken was very excited about all the vehicles. He was like reminiscing. He's like, oh, I had one of those. That was a good vehicle. Yeah. And like uh, the serial killer guy. He's like, oh, yeah, that was a good vehicle. What was that? A Dodge uh, Duster? You always know someone's like a fireman or a policeman or a first responder when they refer to a car as a vehicle. Just going to say it. It's a yeah. tell. <laughs> um, yeah. So back to your original question. I think that if Denzel had not been playing this role, this movie would not have gotten as far as it did, obviously. Toby, there are so many cliches in this movie. Let's just get to it. I think about the ruined cop coming back to the case that has always haunted him, that ruined his career. I think about Denzel's character being in that rundown motel room, and he just happens to have his whole murder board in his suitcase, and he's able to hang it up on the wall, despite the fact that he was just down there, I don't know, collecting evidence or whatever. Supposed to be there for an hour. <laughs> Carries his murder murder board with him, was Carrie Mathis and murder board with him all the time. There's him talking to to like the you know seeing the victims in his dreams every potential cliche you could possibly have in a thriller like this is in this film do you almost give the director and the writers credit for putting all of them in here or not um i don't personally <laughs> maybe somebody does uh it's 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 really quite something they even have like the scene where they're going to go to a to see a corpse and they're like, oh, you want the menthol or, or whatever? And like, I hope you don't puke. You know, this that is was, like It was cliched. good in Silence of the Lambs, which literally came out like 30 years ago. Yeah, but the, I mean, it's been in like so many movies. So my take on this, basically, like this script is like, if you, like sometimes you see these things where they like feed in like all the Shakespeare plays into some artificial intelligence thing and it spits out like a sonnet or something. <laughs> and- this to me is like some artificial intelligence thing that was fed all these serial killer movies from like the eighties, nineties and, and aughts. And he, he spits out this thing that just has little bits of all of them. Nothing really fucking makes sense. Quite honestly, there's, there's like almost nothing that happens makes any sense. As far as I could tell, like trying to, trying to track deductions, trying to figure out what the hell was going on at the end any of this stuff, like a jogger disappears and then the next day it seems like she's like there's posters. I mean, the whole thing, nothing makes sense. And the only way I could make sense of it is, you know, it's just cramming in as much stuff that seemed cool in other movies and thinking if it's just like nonstop kind of cool shit from other movies, that may be a really cool movie, <laughs> but it's not. Kevin, what do you think about what Toby just said? No, I'm, Toby's right. I, I think, though, that there is... There are certain conventions of a neo-noir story or noir story, a noir cop story. And I think they're throwing a lot of them in. One way of looking at it is, is they are paying homage to all of those sort of things that go into it. 
Another way of looking at it is that they're just throwing up some cliches. And, you know, Toby makes that, the, that point. You know, the grizzled cop who's haunted by, you know, the case that got away. Oh, I'm so tired of that story. You know, that can be done well. Yeah. And I think they're trying to come at it from a little different angle here, you know, but... What, what, um, what's the different it, angle? Yeah, what's the well, different angle? Well, instead of Rami Malek, like, finding him, like, washed up, uh, you know, playing oh, poker. Oh, saying, I need you to help me. Yeah, it's like... Uh, <laughs> the, he's like the angle is how they met? That's the different he angle? He does what, you know, what, you know, instead of joining the circus, he does what another cop would do in that situation, that ridiculous situation. It's like, okay, I'm going to move on and I'm going to continue to be a cop, but someplace else, out of town, in a sort of a lesser job, or whatever. I have a question you know, I'm for not, you, I'm not doing the rewrite for the thing. Yeah, yeah I but, have a question for yeah. you. So one of the things that you and I liked the most that we've ever reviewed, not Toby, yeah. was the first season of True Detective, right? Yeah. You've got sort of like the the wizened cop and then the the fresh, you know, the, the sort of spunky cop. And you have the spunky cop has the seemingly wholesome, nice family, pretty wife. Everything's great. The other guy's a mess. Like, didn't you feel when you were watching this, you were just watching, like, watching copies of copies of other? It wasn't even just copies of things. It does have a a sense of seven, right? That sort of menace. It tries. You're right. It tries. I think, to round out that thought, I think that, like, you'd say, okay, in a a noir story, you need a this, a this, a this, and a this. And they put all those things in, but it's about how you do that and how it meshes together. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, I can make a, I can make a salad, and it should have a vegetable and a fruit and a nut and a cheese. <laughs> and okay, fine, but what, what is that? Which, which is that? And how does it what all play together? What if the vegetable together? is jalapenos and the cheese yeah. is uh, American craft singles? What is, <laughs> and the fruit or, is or kiwi. Or if they just drop a tomato and a cucumber and they throw some lettuce it. on top of it, yeah, and they're exactly. like, here you go. <laughs> Not to belabor the metaphor, but yes. <laughs> but one thing I wanted to talk about, though, was that this takes place in 1990, and it, this screenplay has been around since the early 90s, and it's gotten shopped around. And it's just one of those Hollywood things. If you And then Seven got made instead. Yeah, you know, <laughs> all these other, you know, famous act uh, directors that have been attached. Anyway, this is how Hollywood works. I am glad that they kept it in 1990 and not 2020 because I think there is I think we're going to see this much much more as we start looking at the way we tell stories is that dividing line between the point where cell phones and the internet come in and it's easy access to information if you go before that, the world is full of mystery and unknowns. Yeah. And people not being able to get in touch with, you, with you each mean other. You like Maura Murray? Like getting into a car and driving somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And then you just don't know where you're ever going to be. And you have to be by a payphone, right? It's a great plot device. I remember when the X-Files came out. One of the big things was like, oh, these two characters have cell phones. So now you can think of being two different places and the story can move fast. And then what was all of a sudden a novelty ends up changing the way all stories are told, yeah. right? So I just, you know, I, I will give it points for whether they meant it or not by keeping it in 1990 and away from cell phones and the internet and all these other things. It doesn't give their characters cheap advantages. Laura, what were you going to oh, say? You look prepared over there. I was, I was, I was holding this up because when you were saying it was like they picked all the things. So I'm, I'm, you know, been working on a cozy mystery, and here are the eight C's of when you're talking about your salad, Kevin, of cozy <laughs> mysteries: crime, chuckles, cats, crafts, cooking, <laughs> canines, characters, and clues. Perfect. And cum shots. Oh my God. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So, question for all of you. Um, 
The ending of this movie has been talked about mm. in lots of articles. You oh, can read really? it on Collider, on Vulture. Oh, yeah. Everyone is like, what is up with that fucking stupid ending of this? Here it is explained. I would love all of your ratings because, you know, someone might be listening to this review and then they might decide to watch the movie to decide if they hate it or not. So let's just not say exactly what happens at the end. But I would love for all of you to just tell me, maybe using a few words or a scale of one to negative 10 or whatever, just sort of your general thoughts on how this film wrapped up. Toby, I'm going to start with you. Well, I mean, there's two sort of endings, right? There's the first ending out in the desert. Yep. Which involves a lot of digging holes. Um, <laughs> like the book Holes, like literally. It, it's so ludicrous, it's maddening. This will go on and on and on. There's nothing you can do about it. And then the second part of it is the thing where, you know, Denzel sends Rami Malik a little message about this woman who, who had disappeared. Right. And... You know, I think that's supposed to be like the big aha moment, right? I mean, that's supposed to be the little twist at the end is that you see what the deal was, uh, like what it really signified. And it was fucking, you know, I, I think about the repercussions of that for that poor girl, if she's still alive. And it just, I, I don't know. It was of a piece with everything else in that. It didn't make any fucking sense and yeah. was kind of stupid. Yeah. Okay, Sorry. Uh, Laura Bricker, thoughts generally on the ending of this movie? Well, so the ending made sense to me. I, I understood what was happening and I was like, oh, okay. So What a, what a high bar. <laughs> <laughs> I understood. But I was like, that's it? Because I felt like, honestly, there was, after the digging hole part, I wanted a little bit more resolution on that particular plot line about the murders. And I felt like, okay, I kind of think this is what happened with the murders, but it doesn't really seem I wanted a little bit more like of that sort of like coda moment where it came together at the end in a little bit more concrete way. So what I took away from it was like, oh, so the point of the movie wasn't this. It was actually this. The point was that cops suck was sort of the, the point of the, of the movie. <laughs> cops are terrible. They're poisonous. They poison each other and they lie. No, like that was, I think me, he was like, trying kind to of prevent what it was about. That other character from going down the deep hole that he had been down. That's <laughs> and being haunted forever by yeah, the case. No, I, I got. I just, but I was kind of like, uh, you know. Even Ken was like, "That was it," and I'm like, "I guess so." Kevin, general thoughts on the ending of this film? Well, I was kind of following along to the first three quarters of it. I was still into it, thinking, "Okay, where is this going? All right, fine, fine, fine. Let's have a payoff." And then I'll just say when they. Turn to get on that highway. Remember, they're in the yeah. car. I think they might as well have just turned and driven off into the fucking ocean. Because <laughs> I thought the rest of it was, I thought it was garbage. I thought, yeah, look, endings are important. I think this <laughs> the are. impulsiveness of the climax here was just, like Toby said, silly. I actually was reaching down to get my drink and I missed it. I looked up, I said, what happened? <laughs> It was that fast, and it was out of character, and I just, uh, yeah, I was really disappointed with yeah. that because, look, I was I was still willing to give the story the benefit of the doubt where it's going because we've got great actors, and okay, this is the setup, and then I was like, that was that? Yeah. 
So yeah, I mean, it's a shit on a platter. I mean, there was basically a triple twist at the end of the movie. It's monkey ass and an empty clamshell. Right, but there were three twists at the end of the movie. Yeah. Uh, one of them having to do with the Leto Deacon's character. Past. One of them having to do with Deacon Leto. and one of them having to do with the resolution yeah. of this particular thing. Yeah. All of them happened in like forty-five seconds, right? What was the What was the Deacon revelation? That, like, okay, so if you don't want to be spoiled, like, fast forward fifteen seconds right now. Wait, wait, just go to the go to our non-spoiler review. Yes. Just fucking say right. that. It's when we find out that he is the one who killed the girl, the third girl. The third oh, girl. Yeah, that yeah. was supposed to be a thing. Again, to me, that, that, was... that, that's like the that's like the ultimate AI thing. Yes, it's but... like what could possibly be hunting him? Oh, he killed somebody innocent. Right, right. But that being said, like the actors playing that scene were all great actors, and like to me, like there could have been something there. There was nothing. Toby's face right now. Um, <laughs> take a picture of his face. So like four. Like, so this whole thing, each of these like quote surprises are like they're given at each like forty five seconds, right? Which, when you have three stupid things, that is the stupidest way to do it. I mean, if you're going to do three stupid things, let it be stupid. Like, let us actually get it. Let's see what happened. It was just fucking terrible. So, I think we should do I'm what we I'm just waiting do. for the corpses in the coroner's office to start talking to you. <laughs> Let's just do what we do. Let's let our listeners know. Should they check out the film, The Little Things, starring a lot of A-list actors? You can watch it on HBO Max. It was supposed to be in theaters, obviously. I bet a lot of people are happy that they did not pay to see it there. That being said, thumbs up or thumbs down? Should people check it out? Laura Bricker, what do you think? So here's here's my thing. I'm going to go thumbs sideways on this because <gasps> I didn't like the ending of this movie. But here's the thing. We all get to watch movies that were supposed to be in the theater from the comfort of our living room. I find it. No, seriously. I'm so excited. Like on Christmas, I was so excited to watch Wonder Woman when it was on HBO Max, even though there was- Also terrible. But I was like, this is really cool. I'm kind of, so you know what? For whatever it is, what? 14 bucks a month for HBO Max compared to what you would have spent taking your family to the movies? It's like two hours. I mean, and then you can bitch about it with your what friends. A bar. I mean, seriously. What a bar to get over. <laughs> Although I think I did like a few months ago when we reviewed something, I was like, this is so bad that I want you all to watch it so we can talk about it. Was it that yeah. Nicole Kidman thing on HBO? Might like, have been. Yeah. So uh, Toby, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for the film with all these A-list actors, including Denzel Washington, The Little Things. What do you think, Toby? Uh, I'm, I don't like this movie. I... <laughs> Quite honestly, I can't believe that the script and the form that it was shot with made it as far as it did. I mean, it really, like, again, I feel like I'm being like super harsh, but I look at it, I'm like, it it doesn't make sense. There's nothing really original about it. I don't know what really it had to offer. I mean, the casting, the actors are all great, but, you know, I kind of felt like Rami Malek and Jared Leto were playing in like some kind of like really, really dark comedy, kind of. Yes. I mean, they're, they're so, their performances are so weird that they don't seem like you're supposed to take them absolutely seriously, especially Rami Malek. But then Denzel Washington is absolutely playing in a straight movie, in my opinion. So that was, like, weird. I, I don't know. I, this thing was a, was a huge mess. I, I can't believe it got made. And <laughs> therefore, I'm a thumbs down. Kevin Flynn. <laughs> Yeah, I wanted to give this a thumbs up, but I... I, I when? Like the first <laughs> 10 minutes of it? <laughs> no, I mean, I like I said, till they got on that highway and the uh. story went freaking nowhere, there was a lot of waiting around. There was a lot of watching Jared Leto do things. <laughs> uh, or do nothing. 
But look uh, weird. Yeah, I mean, Denzel weird. Washington. Yeah, Denzel Washington carries a lot of this. He's great to look at. I was almost going to say, I give it a tepid thumbs up to tell people, watch it for the performances, because some of the performances are pretty good, but endings are important. And <laughs> even if they just could have sort of given us something that wasn't ridiculous as far as what ties together everybody's story. I understand now why it took 30 years for this to get made. <laughs> why people kept picking it up and putting it down. So yeah. thumbs down. Yeah, this thing was garbage. I'm a thumbs down. I love Denzel, but he wasn't even Denzel in this. And you said he's great to look at. I don't even think he was great to look at in this. They like took everything that's great about Denzel, took it away, and then just made him do it anyway. Uh, I agree with Toby. The Rami Malek performance was weird. We're supposed to believe he's this great cop. We never see him do anything interesting or great. Uh, it looks like he's still wearing the teeth from his Freddie Mercury performance through the whole thing. Uh, it's just his jawline. You want to see a great Rami Malek performance? Watch Mr. Robot. That's all I have to yes, say. 100%. I feel like he won the Oscar for the... Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. In movie because of his performance in Mr. Robot. It is that good. He's so good in that. He's a great actor who has been wasted in this film. Jared Leto, Oscar winner, uh, my high school crush, Jordan Catalano, weird method guy. Also, Golden Globe nominee for this performance. Wasted in this film. God, this script was such garbage. I don't, I, I think I'm just grateful that it was HBO Max and I didn't pay extra to see it. Huge thumbs down for me. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime Crime of of the week. week. Last week, Texas officials issued an Amber Alert for a three foot tall, 16 pound boy. He had red hair, blue overalls and was carrying a knife An answer to the name of Chucky. That's right. Officials asked the public to be on the lookout for a possessed killer doll from the child's play movies. Authorities blame a test malfunction for sending the alert directly to people's cell phones three times. That still can't be as disturbing as the voicemails everyone got saying, I'm Chucky. Want to play? So, panel, it looks like the authorities ultimately got their doll. Who will they be looking for next week? Lara Bricker, what do you think? Well, in real life, I think they could be looking for some gremlins because all of the pets that have been home with people for a year who are like, get the hell out of the house, people, and go back to work are going to start turning into gremlins pretty soon, I think. Hmm. Don't feed them after midnight. Mm -hmm. By the way, that's not how dogs feel about people being home. Toby Ball, what do you think? (laughs) Toby, what do you think? These authorities who got their doll, who will they be looking for next? First of all, did you see that thing on YouTube with that... uh, that little person who dressed up as Chucky and was like attacking people on the New York subway? (laughs) No. No. (laughs) It exists. I I saw it on Twitter. (laughs) Alex Segura actually reacted to it, which is how I saw it. But it's really somebody in a Chucky uniform on the New York subway. Chucky uniform. (laughs) Well, outfit, uh, costume, going up and like attacking people on the subway. I mean... I mean, I ended up. I mean, I gotta Some say. Cop. All right, lady, what what, what happened? Oh, it was Chuck. <laughs> nah, yeah, it's some some people like took him out. 
You wow. know, they pulled his they pulled his little hat off and stuff. So anyway, but in response to your question, I you know I think the obvious answer is a, a cute little clownfish. Yes, cartoon what you, clownfish. What do you think, Kevin? Who will the authorities be looking for next? They're gonna be on the lookout for Ken and Barbie in their Malibu convertible. <laughs> yes, like doing like a Bonnie and Clyde situation. Yeah, or something? high speed chase. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's probably gonna do it for us this week. But before we go, Lara Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? Well, I'm gonna mention a cat very quickly that I mentioned at the beginning. We have Dwayne the brewery cat at Stoneface Brewing in New Hampshire. Check him out. He's pretty awesome. But we actually have a dog this week from Sarah Peterson. And Sarah says, some of you might remember about a month ago, I posted a very panicked question to the group because my dog had a lump on her leg. I didn't know what to do. The poor pup had to have her leg amputated, but was able to come home the same day or the next day. She came waltzing in the door like a pro, recovering very well. She is also quite the celebrity at the surgeon's office and had to stay to say her round of goodbyes to all the doctors and nurses before they would let her take let us take her home. She is a sweet, resilient girl and would love a crime writers on shout out so she can become a worldwide star. And oh yes, nice. her name is Rainy. So Rainy, nice. Rainy the three-legged dog. I love me a three-legged dog. I see a three-legged dog sometimes the place where I walk my dogs and I'm like, I don't like don't want one of my dogs to have their legs amputated, but man, they're fine. They are fine. They do not care. All right, Laura Bricker, if folks want to reach out to you to submit their animals, they can have a hard luck story or they can be cheerful or they can be any kind of animal. How can they find you on Twitter? At Laura Bricker. And of course, you can also email us your pets of the week. We've got a lot of them that way at crimewriterson at gmail.com. Toby Ball, folks want to reach out to you and try to convince you that the little things isn't as bad as you thought. Or maybe that AI wants to reach out to you and connect with you on social media. How can he find you on Twitter? At Toby Ball and H. And Kevin Flynn, folks want to reach out to you, as many have this week, saying, you sound like 100% the Kevin Flynn of your, like three years ago, Kevin Flynn. You are 100% back, voice man. Mm. How can they find you on Twitter? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoie. Follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On, and I encourage you strenuously to join our amazing community. Madeline Barron belongs. Payne Lindsay belongs. We all belong. Susan Simpson. Belongs. Yes, she does now. The Crime Writers on Facebook discussion group. We also have a regular old Facebook page where you can just find out what we're doing this week. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll get the Crime Writers on After Show, Married with Podcast, Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club Podcast, and Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker Podcast. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the very handsome and collegiate Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this fine show is Kevin Flynn. This program was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our basement where we also hide all the newspaper clippings of local murders. Actually, that's not even a joke. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks thanks so much for listening. We will catch you Later. later. Leading off. Clip one. So again, it's not like you said leaving off by accident. Wow, you're really directing me. I'm just helping it's like you like micromanagement, man. Okay. Say it with a smile. Leading off. <laughs> Say it with a smile. <laughs> that was so sexy. Hey. <laughs>
Okay. I said it with a smile. That's right. No, he said it with a smile. Thank He's being too. sexist against himself. Now that I now that I've now that I've named you the executive producer, you turn into a monster. <laughs> Do you remember like in them old westerns, like people would say like they're about to get into a fight, they say, uh, oh, smile when you say that. <laughs> Just know that it ain't like men. I gotta go see a man about punching and my co podcaster in the face. All right. Leading off. You do it darn ugly. <laughs> Partners in crime media. media.